So according to the legacy media, if you are a protester on the political right, it means that you are angry, you're probably racist, and you're definitely bigoted. However, if you are a protester on the political left, for instance, if you're protesting against a conservative politician, well, that makes you righteous, it makes you honorable, and definitely worthy of the audience's time. This, according to the legacy media, it is a special live edition of Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Thank you so much for joining us. And I am joined, as per usual, by my producer, Harrison Faulkner. Harrison is a journalist with us at True North. And it's always great to have you with us on Fridays, Harrison. Yeah, thanks for having me, Candice. This is going to be a good one. We've got uh, coverage that's skewed about protests. We've got completely fake protests. And of course, we've got the protests that the media would like to just completely ignore. So looking forward to getting into it. Well, it, it is sort of interesting because, I mean, we, we covered this on the show last week, Harrison. We showed the audience of how the legacy media ran with a story that was completely fake. It was a fake story concocted by a bunch of liberal MPs and liberal strategists and liberal staffers saying that, oh, Justin Trudeau couldn't, offend, uh, couldn't attend this fancy uh, fundraiser out in Surrey, British Columbia, $1,000 a plate. He couldn't attend because there were these awful racist conservatives outside and it wasn't safe for the prime minister to go in. Uh, rather than trying to verify the story, rather than trying to get evidence of these supposedly racist comments that prevented the prime minister from entering the protest, uh, the media just ran with a story. They just put it out there as fact. They didn't even put the usual disclaimer that media does in the headline saying liberals claim or liberals claim uh, or liber according to liberals or whatever. No, it was just like fact. Trudeau couldn't go to this fundraiser because of racism. And then the whole story fell apart when video footage emerged. I mean, what do you expect, right? There's like 100 protesters outside or a couple dozen protesters anyway. Everyone's filming it. There's lots and lots of video footage. All you have to do is go on social media to see it. And it becomes pretty clear very quickly that there was no, no such racism. Um, and so rather than the media admitting that they had made a mistake, admitting that they had basically run a liberal press release as news, and we're talking about CBC, Canadian Press, which ends up in all of the newspapers. Um, instead, they just kind of quietly changed the, the headline. They just qu quietly rewrote the piece and didn't admit that they had made any previous errors. Well, uh, we thought it would be fun, Harrison, to contrast how the liberals treated that how the media treated the liberals in that protest with how the media treats protests against conservatives. So everyone knows we had an election in Ontario. The results came in last night. It was pretty resounding. Doug Ford, the progressive conservative, won a huge majority victory, even bigger than before. The liberals were decimated again. They were decimated last time. They were decimated again. Uh, the NDP ran a terrible campaign and lawsuits as well. So, so the conservatives were a big winner. They're incredibly popular in Ontario. People like what they're doing. Um, and and it was interesting. I don't know if you watched any of the coverage last night, Harrison. I was watching CBC's coverage. And I, I guess it's like their A team that's in, in Parliament and, and sort of their B team that covers Queen's Park because it was a, a bit rough around the edges that uh, broadcast. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't really their best. Of I, I honestly think that our content at True North is a lot better. And I, that's that's not just uh, you know me being uh, you know very self-praising. I actually thought that the CBC did a terrible, terrible job. Well, Anyway, this is this this happened earlier. Uh, this, sorry, this was last Sunday. So last Sunday, May 29th, there was a rally for Doug Ford in London, Ontario, and there was a group of protesters who interrupted. They posed as as conservative supporters, and then as soon as the premier went to go speak, 
they try to disrupt the event, they try to storm the event. And so interestingly, that again, when when there's conservatives protesting the liberal prime minister, the media paints them as bigots, the media paints them as racist, they don't even try to verify, they don't corroborate the information, they just run with the headline, these are terrible racist people. They don't, they, of course, they don't bother to, to actually interview any of the subjects. They don't bother to talk to the individual protesters, just like they did with the trucker convoy. Um, we should contrast that with, with how the media cover these people who are interrupting what is clearly a very popular premier, a premier that just won a resounding victory last night in the election. But the media treat him like he's, he's some kind of a you know, nefarious character coming to destroy the, the province of Ontario, even though he's been the premier for the last four years. And so I, I want to play this clip. This is, uh, I believe, from CTV. And you, you'll, you'll just see the way they cover it. Not only do they sort of promote the ideas of these protesters, they actually go out and interview them and give them airtime and, and, and promote their sort of fantasies um, about, about what's happening in Ontario. So let's, uh, let, let's play this clip and then we'll, we'll break it all down, Harrison. Thank you for coming out today. You're privatizing our health care. You need to be honest with us. The co-chair of the London Health Coalition, Jeffrey Hanks, is escorted by security after posing as a Doug Ford supporter to get into a private rally in London. I wanted to tell people he's going to privatize our health care before he became premier, and I missed the opportunity. So I just wanted people to know that he's going to privatize our health care and we should vote accordingly. Hanks wasn't the only one to take the stage. Three different people interrupted the Premier's visit. I think that I have the right to let people know before they vote that Doug Ford is really a fraud. I mean, the Conservatives have been destroying this province and this country, you know, and at the expense of the most vulnerable. <laughs> so so, so we, go, we go out and, and, and we interview, you know, the the... the provocateurs, the disruptors who go and, and do something illegal, right? To, to the second gentleman there, no, you don't have the right to interrupt a private event. Sure, you have the right to express your opinions and your views, and you can go and spout your opinions all you want. You go stand on a soapbox, go write on Twitter, or write your own blog. But you don't have the right to go into someone else's private event and disrupt it. And 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 and, and then sort of the, the crux of his argument, the guy's a fraud. It's like, great, that's your opinion. Thanks for sharing. Uh, you know, no, no facts or evidence needed um, in order to give them sort of prime space to, to, to discuss their opinions. The first gentleman there saying he's going to privatize our health care. You got to be honest with Ontarians. It's like, again, the guy's been premier for four years, hasn't privatized the health care so far. So this whole suggestion that you could just sort of make these claims, media don't press back, journalists don't say, well, what do you mean? Can you provide some evidence? Can you provide example? They just, they just give them a platform and that's that's the way that we treat uh, anti-conservative protesters in this country. Harrison, what do you make of all this? Well, Candace, just imagine for a second if the CTV treated the uh, the protesters in Ottawa with the same respect uh, and the same uh, whatever you want to describe it as. I guess you could call it respect. You could just call it with you could call it some sort of I don't know. I mean, clearly they're promoting these these protesters. But imagine if the CTV did that for the Ottawa protesters, took the time to interview them get what they had to say, get the best parts of what they had to say as well. Keep in mind, because of course, I'm sure they edited that interview uh, to make these two, uh, these two protesters, protesters look a, as good as possible. But things would be totally different, of course. And, and the narrative that the media ran with uh, to the protesters in Ottawa would be different if they treated them with the same, uh, the same, I guess you could call it respect. But again, this also highlights, Candace, the difference between the legacy media and independent media. 
because I was at a Ford event the day before the election. Uh, I saw, uh, I myself uh, approached an independent journalist who was very critical of Ford, and I saw a rebel journalist do the same thing. And I've seen this happen before, where independent journalists will speak to both sides. Part of the story is covering opposition and protesters at events. Um, there, there's, there's, the, there's the key difference, though, Candace, because independent media will do that. They will take the time to approach these people and hear what they have to say. And they'll also go into the event and usually act with, with respect and interview the subject of the event. So, I mean, it's clearly uh, it's clearly just, you know, the difference between how the media treats these protesters is obvious. Um, and I think the Canadians are obviously worse off for it. Uh, and just just imagining how how things would have been different in Ottawa if CTV had, uh, had had interviewed some of the protesters on the ground and really understood what they were trying to say. It, it's a shame that it doesn't happen. But I mean, it, it just ends up driving viewers to us. Right. It just drives viewers away from legacy media to independent sources that do the job properly. Well, this has been a long running theme in the legacy media, which is that left-wing causes and left-wing protests are inherently righteous, right? Uh, right in the middle of COVID when we were all locked down and any, anyone who was gathering even to try to go to church or, or you know, slight protests against the heavy-handed totalitarian lockdowns, uh, the media quickly called them COVIDiots and they, you know, demonized them and they say people are risking everyone, they're going to kill grandma, like how dare these evil, evil people. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then like a minute later, uh, when when Black Lives Matter protests were happening all over the world in reaction to a isolated crime event in a different country, um, all of a sudden we had all these health experts, including our own in Canada, saying that 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 systemic racism is another pandemic, and therefore protesting against systemic racism is tolerable in our society. And and to me, that was when they really let the cat out of the bag. It's like okay, uh, these 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 health experts have no sense of neutrality. It is all about their political agenda. It is all about partisanship. Here is Justin Trudeau breaking his own social distancing rules to go out and take a knee, whatever that means. Um, but but again, the media cover it like, wow, it's so heroic. I remember uh, David Aiken, the bureau chief over at Global, saying Justin Trudeau is the first G7 leader to, to go to a Black Lives Matter protest, like salivating at this idea. And it's like, you know, their, 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 their agenda, the, the difference in the way that they treat Protesters on the left versus protesters on the right—it's—it's it's been pretty blatantly obvious for a while. I think that the trucker convoy really exposed that, and we just see sort of little examples of it every, every single week in the media. Where again, if you're protesting Doug Ford, you're heroic and you deserve equal time on the television screen to hear what this guy has to say, even though what he's saying isn't based in any any facts or any backed up at all by evidence. It's just it's some crazy guy's opinion. Um, but yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put that front and center. Yeah, and and when the legacy media does this, when the legacy media goes ahead and demonizes protesters who have every right one to protest, but also have valid valid reasons to protest and valid concerns, what it does is it opens the door to legitimate attacks from politicians. If the media says that these people are racist, if the media says that uh, these protesters uh, who have valid concerns are actually just um, you know angry, evil uh, people. Then, of course, what's going to happen is that politicians are going to take that and use it um, as an object to attack these protesters. And even even I, I saw that I remember that during the Queens Park protests, um, Doug Ford uh, called the protesters, many of whom were his supporters, uh, yahoos. And, you know, Trudeau would go out and call them racists. It's 
it, this is a very bad thing for the media to be doing and it has real effects on society. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's become, as you said, Candace has become the, the standard operating procedure for legacy media. And I mean, the past year has made it as, as plain as day. Well, at, at least when they, uh, when, when they, so, so Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, he, he was protested at a rally. And then a few days later, Justin Trudeau was supposedly the victim of, of racism. Right. At, at least it sort of makes sense. There's some internal logic when you saw the media, you know, dismissing these conservative protesters as being racist when they were heckling Jagmeet Singh, right? Because he's Indian. Uh, when, when, it, when it was just Trudeau, it just made no sense. But, but, but even that secondary uh, line of reasoning from legacy media that people who are protesting Jagmeet Singh must have inherently been racist. And you don't even need to say anything racist. They don't need to prove uh, that, 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 that the people were motivated by racism purely by the fact that they had different skin color. Therefore, they had to be racist. Well, the, the media's narrative on this, Harrison, didn't really stand up because last weekend, as reported by True North, Jagmeet Singh had to flee an event in Brampton, Ontario, because he was being hounded by Sikh protesters. So it turns out that Jagmeet Singh is just not a very popular guy. And there's a lot of anger and frustration against him across the country. I think a lot of it is because in Canada, we have a parliamentary democracy, we elected a minority government. And the whole purpose is to have a separation of, of power and a balance of power, whereby the parties have to actually work together in order to pass legislation. When Jagmeet Singh came out and basically gave Justin Trudeau a blank check saying, dear liberals, we will support whatever you do. And we don't, we don't have anything back in return. A lot of people felt betrayed, uh, liberal voters, NDP voters and conservative voters. And I think even liberal voters uh, felt betrayed by this union because it's not what they voted for. And so it turns out a lot of people are very angry about Jagmeet Singh, people from different backgrounds. And so we saw this over the weekend last weekend when Jagmeet Singh was again, harassed and people were shouting at him in a very similar manner, Harrison, as the people were shouting at him the week before. The only difference, of course, is that the first time it was people who were mostly white, who were sort of the media could easily dismiss them as being whatever angry conservatives, racist conservatives. Uh, this time around, when it was the Sikh people who were angry and 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 harassing Jagmeet Singh, the, the media didn't cover it at all. They just pretended it didn't exist. They ignored it. It didn't fit their narrative. And what therefore, it just didn't exist. It didn't, didn't crack into the legacy media. Well, we have a clip of what it looked like for Jagmeet Singh to be chased out of a rally in his own community in Brampton, where he was originally from and what, where he, I believe his brother used to represent this area right up until last night when he lost his seat. But Jagmeet Singh chased out of a Sikh event and unwilling to speak to his own supporters. This is what that clip looked like. Jagmeet, I'm wearing a mask, bro. You gotta respect me. Hey, Jagmeet, don't sell out, bro. Don't sell out. Where you selling out, Jagmeet? Sell out, thing, bro. You sold out our dome, bro. You sold out our dome. You sold out, bro. You sold out your quom. Quom means nation in Punjabi. So these people are saying you sold this out. Again, this is in reference to his policies, his, his, his decision to form an unholy alliance with the liberals and prop up Justin Trudeau and his corrupt government. And so people are angry. People of all different backgrounds, including his own Sikh people. And yet media, no, not interested in covering this. What do you think, Harrison? These are these are completely valid reasons for people to be angry, for people to feel like they were uh, that they were let down by 
uh, Jagmeet Singh. Now, there's so many great parts of that clip, Candice. I mean, some of the lines are hilarious. Jagmeet, don't run, bro. I'm wearing a mask. You have to talk to me. I mean, it's just, it really is, it really is a great clip, in my opinion. And, and it's symbolic, really. It shows that this is the narrative that the media is trying to paint about people who are upset with the government, who are upset with Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau. Uh, it, it just shows how wrong they are. And going back, Candace, to uh, the protest we covered last week on on Fake News Friday, the media, I guess, hasn't caught on to the fact that everyone now is a citizen journalist. Most people who go to these protests are live streaming. You just can't make things up, right? You can't just fabricate the truth and expect everyone to just go along with it um, because everyone's filming. And this is a perfect example, Candace, of just how offside the media is when it comes to the reality of people being frustrated with this government. Jagmeet Singh has, in many ways, uh, you know, just proven to Canadians that he's really just in it to hold on to power, to hold on to some sort of influence. We know from the NDP that they're not in a position to uh, one challenge uh, the government properly, uh, and they don't have the finances to run, run an official campaign. So instead of actually doing the job that he was supposed to do, he has now kind of folded in and folded in behind a really unpopular leader. And one last thing uh, about this. People have, this was talked about during the Ottawa protest, but this is still a reality. The Sikh community, uh, many of them drive trucks. Many of them are truck drivers. That is a, that is a huge profession in Brampton. Um, so <laughs> it, it led up to this perfect moment where Jagmeet Singh was eventually going to get heckled out of his own hometown because of what he said about the trucker protest, because of the way he's reacted. Uh, and it just all kind of came to, uh, came to the front now at this protest. And I think it was symbolic and his brother didn't even win his own riding. Right. I mean, these people are really, really furious and you can't spin it when it's all on video. Exactly. And yet, I mean, you can't spin it. And so Harrison, they just don't cover it. It just doesn't, It's like, it didn't exist. It's like, yeah. if, if those are white protesters, you know, it would be the biggest story in the country. You know, it would be plastered everywhere. And the headline, just like we saw two weeks ago would be, look at these horrible racists. Every fancy columnist over at the Globe and Mail or National Post would be writing about it and clutching their pearls and, and, and talking about how dangerous populism is. Uh, but when it is Sikh protesters, then, hmm. No, not 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 important. Not worth covering. And so the media just leave it. Well, we got one other protest story, Harrison. That this this is just so typical of the establishment in Canada. So apparently, the Toronto Airport Authority wanted to do some kind of an emergency drill of what it would look like if there was a protest at the airport. And so they paid a bunch of fake protesters, a bunch of actors uh, got paid to stage a fake protest at the airport to see how the emergency response team over at Pearson Airport in Toronto would react and, and put together. Of course, the protest that they chose uh, was a kind of like a freedom convoy uh, makeup. They, 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 they basically replicated the idea of a freedom convoy. They had all these people with, with their fake uh, freedom signs. And the, the whole thing was just a terrible mockery. Basically just a bunch of people making fun of the working class, essentially. I, I, don't, I don't know uh, what other way uh, to put it, but this is, this is what it looks like. I think we have a clip of this one, don't we, Harrison? Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, let's throw to that clip because it's just really astonishing. A scene unfolded at Pearson Airport today that could have fooled onlookers. Freedom, 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 freedom. So today we're having
having an, a mock emergency exercise happening, so we're testing our response to an emergency or security situation. So we've got protesters in the back who have been very enthusiastic uh, about playing their roles, and we've been testing our response to it. Yes, as you can see, people, both volunteers and airport employees, getting into character for the fake protest. The exercise is actually a requirement by Transport Canada. The GTA says it's an important way to test the airport's emergency response. So at least they admitted that it was, you know, CBC didn't pretend like it was a real protest or something like that. But give me a break. I mean, what a waste of everybody's time. And again, just like the, the just how quickly they'll, they'll be to go and, and den denigrate and make fun of the sort of protesters that they don't like. I would, I would, I would love to see them do a fake airport protest, uh, you know, staged with a bunch of terrorists from the Middle East or something like that, you know, like people who've actually attacked airports in the past, but, but this, this sort of mock imaginary protest where they just get to dress up, uh, like their favorite trucker and pretend to, to to be like a huge threat to the Pearson Airport was just pretty pretty weird. I don't know. I don't know how else yeah, to describe well, it. Pretty strange. Yeah. Well, the, I wrote on Twitter when the clip came out. I was asking what, what, whether this was Monty Python or real life because it's just so <laughs> just so ridiculous, Candice. And I mean, where where can we start? I mean, imagine. So they just said that this was a part of Transport Canada, which also oversees Canada's railways. I doubt, Candice, that there has ever been a mock protest, and I may be wrong. But at this point, I would doubt it. There's ever been a mock protest of when, for example, railroads are blockaded and they have to test how they respond to that. Because, of course, that doesn't really play into the narrative. But there, there are some great shots in this in this video. Of course, first of all, the, the, the spokesperson for the protest said that everyone was very enthusiastic. I would say that they were slightly they slightly missed part of the character because they're all wearing masks, which is just so, so typical. And here we go. The, the shot of the protest a man wearing a mask saying masks are abuse. And there's a Trump 2024 sign in there. Uh, it's, it's really just the ultimate, uh, first of all, it's the ultimate mockery of, of what I would consider the, you know, the working class, right? They put all these signs, they made all these fake signs. Um, you know, just, it's just, it's just embarrassing. And of course, I'm not sure if these were actors, Candace, or if they were actually uh, uh, Pearson airport staff. And if anyone has been paying uh, attention to what's been going on in regards to transportation in Canada. Pearson Airport has been an absolute disaster. They've been unable to uh, clear security lines. They've been unable to uh, keep travelers moving. It's becoming, it's becoming a huge problem for them. And even BlogTO wrote about this and said that it was a terrible idea because they're basically shutting down a significant part of the airport, which is already undergoing ridiculous delays because for some reason, Canada is still holding on to these unbelievably, you know, punitive travel restrictions that really just target specifically people that are opposed to Justin Trudeau. So there's so much to get into this. Even BlogTO, the the uh, the the liberals, you could say, likely at BlogTO, even they took shots at it because it really was just a stunning display of of I don't know, I, I don't know what to call. It. Like you said, I I think it's just really a mockery of of people who have legitimate and real frustrations with the government. Well, and, and like how, how astonishingly out of touch are these people that they're like, okay, we're in the midst of this really 
hectic travel situation where people are finally starting to want to go travel again. So airports are busier, but you know we have a confluence of all of these issues in Toronto where the feds just voted, Trudeau just voted to extend travel restrictions. Um, the airlines laid off a bunch of ground staff during the pandemic, and a lot of them haven't been hired back, so they don't have enough people to unload the the planes, which mean that people have to stay on the planes a lot longer. Uh, CBSA and the border control guards are dealing with increased volume of having to deal with you know people's paperwork and compliance with COVID rules. So it's like all this stuff's going on, and and you have these sort of fat cat airport executives being like, you know what we should do this week? Let's let's stage a fake Trump protest. Like let's yeah. let's, let's just get a bunch of people out there, and you know they can they can. <laughs> your point is so funny that they're all wearing masks. You're outside. You're outside. You're not going to get COVID outside. You take the bloody masks off and, you know, the whole the whole mockery yeah. on top of it. Like, like so at, least get, at least get into character, please. Like if you're going <laughs> to do this, at least take the mask off. If you're going to hold the sign that says masks are, masks are abuse and no masks, <laughs> then, then just please do us all a favor and at least get into character so that they can at least prepare. And one, one more thing as well, after this protest, the government voted to extend travel measures. And, and you know what, sooner or later, if they keep this going, they are going to get protests at airports because people are going to be, people are already at their end, but this is just putting fuel on the fire, Candace. Um, and, and people are going to show up at airports because quite frankly, what's going on is, is ridiculous. It's not even based in, in any science anymore. Liberal MPs are speaking up about it. It's it's crumbling on them, and they're and they're still holding on. So yeah, right. it, it, you've got you've got you've got airport security and CBSA uh, blaming it on the on the government. Government's blaming it on the airports. It's a total disaster. So yeah, they just must have must have picked the perfect time, Candace, to run this fake protest. Well, they're so out of touch in so many ways. And I think you're right. You're, you're kind of giving people ideas about like going and protesting exactly. the airports. I think th I think that Trudeau definitely deserves criticism though and and the whole idea of extending the restrictions at this point just seems vindictive it's like they don't want to admit that their policies didn't work trudeau said over and over again during the election and since that vaccines are the only way out of the pandemic he doesn't want to admit that that was a failed flawed strategy a flawed approach so he's just sort of gripping to it being vindictive and uh, definitely worthy of criticism well Harrison, there's other criticism coming towards Prime Minister yeah. Justin Trudeau this, this week, coming from uh, the former finance minister, Bill Morneau. So Bill Morneau recently unleashed against Justin Trudeau. Uh, for those who don't know, former uh, finance minister Bill Morneau was the uh, finance minister in the Trudeau Liberal government from 2015 to 2020. And he delivered a pointed critique of the liberal economic policies, as well as recommendations for kickstarting growth in his first public speech since leaving political life two years ago. He he left political life in the midst of scandal because he was part of the whole We Charity scandal where his, his family members, his daughter, uh, were involved in that organization, that charity, and he didn't uh, clearly you know, recuse himself from decisions about the We Charity. Interesting how the finance minister gets canned. The prime minister, who had much more of a conflict of interest and was much more deeply entrenched in this scandal, uh, he, he just kind of walked away. So, so Morneau gets thrown under the bus. Trudeau comes out with 
unscathed uh, because of his friends in the media largely. Well, anyway, Mor- Morneau is back and he's, he's not, he's not holding anything back. Really. He, the, the, the criticisms are, are pretty damning um, saying that, you know, too much time and energy is spent on ways of redistributing wealth in Canada and little attention is given to the importance of increasing our collective prosperity. You know, we, we know from the last budget that, that Canada is projected to have the lowest growth in the G7. Uh, re- really, our, our finances are a mess. And I wasn't a big fan of Bill Morneau when he was Justin Trudeau's finance minister, but he was a serious person. He was a grown up. He did have a background in finance. And he, you know, n- compared to what we have now, those early days of the Trudeau government, that first term seems like a, a term of fiscal restraint uh, compared yeah. to the absolutely insane spending that we've been going through. So interesting to see that, you know, Trudeau is trying to defend himself. Um, but this this other interesting story got dug up. And I want to mention only because this is an issue that I was incredibly critical of at the time. So so since Morneau's uh, criticisms of Trudeau uh, on finances have come out, there's a speech that he delivered back in February in Washington that was mostly overlooked at the time. But he, uh, Morneau is talking about a specific incident with the Trudeau government and more broadly about the what he calls a tumu- uh, tumultuous era um, of Canada-U.S. relations during the Trump presidency. You can see here Canada shouldn't have used Trump as a punching bag. And so Morneau is speaking down at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, uh, giving a lecture. He's, he's now a professor down at Yale University, so he's He's living in the U.S. and he's giving a lot of these speeches. And he, he said, look, in Canada, uh, what we were doing at the time was reflecting the reality, which was that Trump wasn't very popular in Canada, that, that most Canadians didn't support Trump, didn't like what he was doing. And so Trudeau used that as a punching bag. We saw that throughout even the 2019 election. It was like rather than running against Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, Trudeau was kind of running against Trump and, and the media always painted it that way. They always, you know, focus so much on Trump stories and Trump news. And it was always leading, you know, whatever the latest Trump scandal was, that was a top story on CBC. The Trudeau scandals were always sort of buried down in the back or at the end of the, uh, the end of the coverage. Well, uh, one specific story that, that Bill Morneau was talking about was something that I wrote about because at the time I was kind of gobsmacked and dumbfounded that, that the Trudeau government would do this. So Chrissia Freeland, who is a former journalist and she is now our finance minister, she took over from Bill Morneau. Uh, she was the foreign affairs minister, the rookie foreign affairs minister. She was an outspoken critic of Trump. Well, they gave her an award. So she was awarded Diplomat of the Year um, by Foreign Policy Magazine, which is sort of a blue chip, uh, top-notch foreign policy journal, or used to be anyway. Um, anyway, so she, she goes to accept this award, Harrison, and she unleashes this like bizarre rant about Trude- about Trump, sorry, and, and, and the resistance movement. And she called him anti-democratic and an angry populist. Uh, so, so you can see my story. I wrote about it in September 2018. Uh, really, uh, how embarrassing that that our foreign affairs minister would go to the foreign capital, the capital of our closest ally, the United States, and rip on the president. Uh, I thought it was so. I thought it was just she showed utter contempt to our allies, and it was so disrespectful. It was so unbelievable and ironic because she was being awarded with the award of top diplomat, and here she is giving this incredibly undiplomatic speech where she called Trump a demagogue and accused him of scapegoating the outsider, the other, the immigrants, uh, as well as trading partners. Uh, and the media in Canada just sort of applauded and and you know, praised her and, and said, wow, she's so brave. Uh, well, it turns out, as I, as I wrote about in that column in the Toronto Sun, 
uh, our American co colleagues didn't didn't like it. They didn't like it, and so apparently, uh, Bill Morneau is is close friends with uh, former uh, Secretary of State Stephen um, Mnuchin, and basically he he talked about how Mnuchin was incredibly disappointed and and basically called he called Bill Arno apparently said Bill how would you feel if I went to Ottawa gave a speech criticizing your government to the people who largely are your opposition didn't bother calling you and then flew back to Washington the next day Morno added that's not really the way you have an effective partnership absolutely this is so obvious Harrison and yeah at the time again the media in Canada rather than holding our politicians accountable and saying this is incredibly reckless it's damaging it's going to damage your trade relationship it's going to damage your ability uh, to, to, to get anything done, which it did. Um, you know, our media were cheering them on. And now, four years later, with clarity of mind, Bill Morneau was like, I can't believe we did that. That was insane. That was so stupid. And the media are like, yeah, yeah, that was probably a mistake. It's, it's all so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and again, Canada, and I imagine uh, Trudeau, Freeland, Morneau, they knew what they were up against. Obviously, I think it's, uh, I think uh, Mnuchin was treasury secretary. I know that the trade ambassador at the time, Bob Lighthizer, was was well known for his negotiation skills, and and Trump, of course, as well. So they knew what they were up against, and the whole the whole trade negotiations was about the NAFTA deal, the the the, the new NAFTA deal, which is absolutely key to Canada's economy. Uh, they are our number one trading partner. If Canada doesn't get that negotiation right, it'll be hugely detrimental to Canadians. And instead of instead of trying to approach it uh, diplomatically, instead of trying to approach the US president at the time as a president, not as a political opponent, um, that was what needed to happen. Uh, and clearly, that's not what happened. Um, and I think Morneau is absolutely right here. Crazy to say that I, I, I agree with Bill Morneau on something, but in this instance, uh, I, I absolutely do. Um, Freeland, Trudeau, that entire team basically put politics over the people. They put their own political ambitions of trying to dunk on Trump uh, for their own supporters over the, over the betterment of, of the Canadian economy, which was to get a good deal for Canadians. If you remember, uh, you know, right after right after Trump was elected, I'm pretty sure he took a look at at the deal that at, at NAFTA and and noticed that it was not in America's favor. So he was going to basically rip it up and try and find new ways to put it in in, in America's favor. So Canada had an obligation to approach this and get something good for Canadians. Uh, clearly, it, it angered Americans and rightly so. I think uh, what Mnuchin said in that in that uh, from Morneau is right. If if if. Uh, Mike Pence or someone like that came to Canada and just dunked on Trudeau, didn't say anything and left, it'd be horrible. It would be horrible for, for the Canadian government, from the Canadian government's perspective. So it's absolutely right. And I think it's clear that these people in, in Trudeau's cabinet were clearly just looking for ways to dunk on Trump. And they saw it as a political opportunity, not as an actual chance to strengthen Canada's economy, which is just a shame. You're right. Yeah. And thanks for the correction. I said Secretary of State uh, Stephen Mnuchin was a Treasury Secretary. But but it wasn't like this was without consequences, right? You, you, you're right to acknowledge that Trump ripped up NAFTA and Canada was like begging at the, the like the, the right. you know, 11th hour, please let us back in to this, this partnership. And Trump was sort of going towards Mexico saying, okay, we're going to do our own deal over here. We were also had Trump uh, imposing steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada. That, so, so again, you have the, the 
the liberal government that is so focused on scoring cheap political points, dunking on what they see as their political uh, adversaries, conservatives, Republicans in the U.S., the media cheering them on, not holding them accountable, not saying, hey, wait a minute, guys, this is probably pretty irresponsible. And, you know, it takes four years later uh, for, for someone in the Trudeau government to acknowledge, like, wow, it is amateur hour over at the uh, federal government in par- in Ottawa, Parliament. Uh, these people are not grownups. They're, they're, they're completely superficial and immature and the fact that that freeland would go and do this and again she, you know she, she still hasn't really received much criticism or uh repercussions you know you still don't see much about it in the media maybe maybe a little bit here and there but it's it's really incredible and yeah i i i'm not I, I wasn't a big fan of Bill Morneau when he was the finance minister. I think he made a lot of stupid uh, choices, including throwing Canada into deficit spending. But he, he's, he's sounding a lot more sane uh, now that he's been two years removed from the Trudeau government. Well, there's something there's something wrong with uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's something in the in the water over at Liberal Party headquarters, Harrison. But it's like as soon as you become a liberal MP, you just your mind gets poisoned um, and, and you turn into like a woke robots. So, uh, you know, I, I know that for this week, uh, there's a big launch down in the U.S. Our friends at the Daily Wire uh, launched their own po- uh, documentary called What is a Woman? Where uh, Matt Walsh just basically goes around asking this very simple question, what is a woman? And he really uh, unearths and, and shines a light on the very perverse woke ideology that has inflicted uh, so many places and the whole gender ideology. Uh, well, well, it's not just happening in the U.S., it's happening in Canada. We have firsthand evidence this week, um, a Liberal MP, the uh, Parliamentary Secretary for the Minister of Women and Gender Equality, or sorry, Gender Equity, uh, Jenna Suds, uh, oh, sorry, no, that's, that's not who gave the speech, hold on, uh, who gave the speech here? That's right, Liberal MP Pam Damoff. She delivered a speech in the House of Commons. Uh, this is, like I quote, celebrating vaginas and vulvas day. This is, imagine getting up to deliver a, house, a speech in the House of Commons, in Parliament, the House of our democracy, um, and, and making a speech like this. We're going to play it for you. It's a little long. It's very cringy. Uh, but this is a state of political discourse from the liberal side of the aisle in Canada. Here's that clip. Vaginas and vulvas are a source of strength, empowerment, and pleasure. Yet throughout our lives, we've been taught that the terms vulva and vagina do not have a place in polite conversation. That's one more way that the bodies of over half the world's population are stigmatized, sexualized, and objectified. With the recent news in the United States regarding Roe versus Wade, conversations about sexual and reproductive health are more important than ever, and it starts here on Parliament Hill. We need to reclaim space in health, research, politics, policy making at the doctor's office to celebrate the power of vulvas and vaginas. It's 2022 and we shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed to talk about our bodies. Join me, the MPs from Winnipeg Centre, Saanich Gulf Islands, Shefford, Senator McFedrin and Action Canada as we jointly host a celebration on May 31st to reclaim the conversation and celebrate vulvas and vaginas as powerful and important. What? (laughs) 
Uh, and they all cheer and they all celebrate. And uh, my, my point I made on Twitter was, notice how she doesn't say women. Like they, 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 they come to separate the human body from the actual gender and sex. That's why I talk about Matt Walsh's documentary because yeah. this is all part of the gender equity, equality documentary, uh, sorry, ideology that, that, that these people are pushing. They don't want to use the word woman because they don't even want to describe what a woman is. And so instead you have this creepy spectacle of this woman I, I don't even I don't even know what to make of it, Harrison. It's just it's like a cult. These people are part of a cult, and the, you know the things that they want to celebrate, the things that they want attention for, just really that's that that's, that's no place in our parliament. That's not what we should be talking about when we stand up to give political speeches in the House of Commons. Yeah, I mean, Ken, that that's like a thirty second clip, and it feels like it goes on for so long. It's so painful. So I have to apologize to our audience for even showing that, but really. It's important to watch because I think it just shows, Candace, how fundamentally unserious the liberal government is and how performative it is and how it's really just about riding the woke wave. And, and if it goes if it goes to the conversation about not saying women, then they're going to go there. If it goes to protesting with BLM, they're going to go there. It's all performative for them. It's just they're just they're just not serious at all. And this is this is evident not only in just that clip, because. It's not the first time, Candace, that they've talked about these sorts of issues and, and they've refused to even say the word woman because this is just, I guess, the modern state of, of the left in uh, both Canada and the United States. Um, I mean, I, here, here it is. We can, we can pull this up. But in the latest budget, Candace, there was a line item about piloting, piloting a menstrual equity fund for those in need. Uh, and again, I just want to make sure, oh, at least in the budget, they do mention women. But the title, the title is for those in need, menstrual equity for those in need. Um, this is just not a serious government, Candace, and we, we already knew that. Well, and it, it does say women, girls, trans, and non-binary Canadians. So they had oh, to include God. the whole rubrics <laughs> of all the different types of people who get their period because it's no longer just women and girls, according to the lunatics who run our government. And we, we've seen this before. Uh, it was it, it, the, um, you know, they... they uh, Theresa Tam, the chief medical officer in Canada last year, just awkwardly and embarrassingly referred to pregnant and breastfeeding people, not, not women, people, because all people can get pregnant and all people can breastfeed according to those in the liberal cult. Yeah, um, it would, and it would so be it would be horrible yeah. to, to, to insult the, the men that, that breastfeed and are pregnant. I, I mean, I can't, I can't frankly imagine a, a worse thing for the government to do than insult those very important uh, voting block for the liberals. Well, and so while our liberal elites and overlords are completely denigrating women and trying to erase women from the public square, there has been some shocking research uh, that Canada's f fertility rates reached a record low in 2020. So this was sort of something a lot of people saw coming, that that there would be the opposite of a baby boom during the pandemic, that, that people, parents would decide that there was too much economic uncertainty and that we wouldn't have uh, as many babies being born, well, that has borne out through stats. So stats can uh, confirm that, that in uh, 2020, fertility rate fell from 1.47 children per woman in 2019 down to 1.4 in 2020. Uh, fertility rates have been steadily declining in, in Canada since 2009 and we're sort of bottoming out, reaching rock bottom. I, I, I had to include this story, Harrison, because this individual here, Susan McDaniel, who is a professor of sociology at the University of Victoria, 
she, she, she actually celebrates this R rather than seeing this as the, the sort of real damaging um, the, the sort of end of civilization threat that it poses, that the, the, the lack of fertility rates in this country, the fact that people are not having families, that, that, that women are men are choosing to forego marriage, uh, they're choosing to delay, they're choosing to wait. Many of them are choosing not to have children at all, some of them ideologically because they oppose human beings and they don't want to worsen what they consider climate change, um, or, or just people unable to find a life partner and find that meaning and take that plunge into adulthood by having a family, uh, that more and more Canadians are forgoing that. Uh, again, most people would see that as something really sad. There's something really wrong in our society that we need to address and we need to confront. We need to change. Uh, well, well, here is CTV has found a professor to say the exact opposite. Um, this is a good trend. This is a good trend. So we'll go back to Susan McDaniel, the professor. She said the trend is for lower birth rates worldwide. And she basically just says this is a good trend. Basically, it's better for children if there are fewer children. It's better for parents if there are fewer children. It's better for society and it's better for the planet and everything else. So let's just go through this because this is so absurd and so, again, counterintuitive. How, how on earth is it better for children if there's fewer children? Do you know what little kids love? Other little kids, they love kids to play with. They love cousins and neighbors and siblings and friends. Like the more kids in a community, the better. Uh, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and their favorite things that they do is go out to play dates, go out to messy tots. We used to have a mom and tot group in our church basement and then COVID put an end to that. And it was really, really hard on my son because he loved going every week to see his little friends and all of a sudden he couldn't. Little kids love being around other little kids. So the fact that there are fewer children is not better for children, despite what this sociologist says. It's better for parents, she says. It's better for parents if there are fewer children. How, how on earth is that the case? Most women, when polled in Canada, say that they want to have more children, that they would have more children if they could afford it or if they had different financial circumstances. Um, most women say that they would, that, that, that if they were asked, uh, how many children would they have in an ideal world? Most women say three. Three, three children is what they say that they want. Um, instead, we see 1.4 children per woman. So, so the exact opposite of what this woman is saying, it's not better for children. It's not better for parents. It's certainly not better for grandparents. Grandparents are the ones that want grandchildren the most. They want more children. Uh, so many of the people I talk to who have um, kids that are, you know, in their 20s or 30s, a lot of them mention to me like, oh, you know, I can't wait for my um, child to have kids. That's, I can't wait for grandkids. I, I hear that so often. Everyone wants more kids <laughs> and, and the whole idea better for society, better the planet. Uh, try, try to circle that square with the idea that these are the same people who are in favor of open borders and mass immigration, right? They want more people in Canada. We need more people in Canada from an economic perspective. Um, and yet they, they just don't want them to be Canadian grown. So I, th I thought that that was one of the most despicable quotes that I have ever seen from a legacy media outlet saying that having fewer kids is better for everyone. No, it is not. That is not true. Don't listen to sociology professors. They will ruin our society and make everybody miserable. What do you think, Harrison? Well, I think most sociology professors are probably exactly aligned with what that woman uh, was saying. And this is not a question of sociology. This is a question of, of uh, for, for doctors and for economists, because that's really what it is. But Candice, there's two things I think we should talk about with this. The first is, as you said, the immigration side of things. In the article, they even put that there. The sociology professor says, our population is growing, but it's for it's because of immigration. That's a good thing. Um, but it's not good for Canadians to have more kids. I think that's, that's, that's important to note. That's an important part of their plan. And of course, the second part is that 
this conversation wouldn't be right if we didn't talk about the fact that all of these policies, the going back to the policies where they are denying uh, the women and, and erasing women, uh, encouraging abortions, uh, you can go down the list, Candace. The left are putting forward policies that are tailored to this outcome, that are tailored to having fewer or having uh, lower birth rates. That's an important part of the conversation. And, and I think the media is now veering into the position of, of promoting professors that are, that are basically outlining exactly why it's good to have less kids and, and why we need to increase immigration. Those are two important parts that, that really this is the outcome of policies put forward by the political left. This is exactly what's going to come from it. Um, and I think clearly it is not good for parents. It is not good for other kids. And it is just not good for the country. It's interesting because when it comes to sort of natalist policies, most people don't want to talk about it. The media barely picks up on it. The only time the media ever talks about this issue is when there's studies like this that come out that show a decline in birth rate, a historic decline. Numbers, like I said, have been going down steadily. And and yet they put like this positive spin. It's it's so it's so creepy and weird and, and anti-human fundamentally. And I again, I think... Most Canadians would be happier with more children. Most Canadians in their want more kids in their community, want more kids in their family, want more kids uh, if, for their own. And so, again, uh, don't listen to university professors; they will make you miserable and ruin everything. So, I think I think that's that, that, that's a good way to sum up the show this week, uh, Harrison. So, I uh, appreciate it, and uh, thanks thanks for joining us. It's it's been uh, fun as usual, and. Uh, yeah, it, it, when, when it comes to fake news, it, th there's just always so much that we, we used to do this show for 20 minutes and now we're almost pushing an hour just because it's so hard to cram everything in. But appreciate your time, Harrison. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Candace. All right, that's Harrison Faulkner, journalist with True North. I'm Candace Malcolm. This has been Fake News Friday here on The Candace Malcolm Show. Mm -hmm.